This podcast is a part of the Podmania Podcasting Network. Check out podmania.co.uk to check out more of our great podcasts, features, reviews, match ratings and previews spanning the crazy and diverse world of professional wrestling. What's up everybody and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonners. This is episode 145 and this is another episode, another interview in partnership with Turnbuckle TV. So I'm excited to have my next guest on uh, who invited out about the man and uh, about his work. I've become uh, a massive fan of his already so I can't wait to kind of talk to him more uh, with my listeners and viewers. Uh, but he's got a, an amazing and a very, very inspirational story. Please can I introduce to you the ultra-talented artist and designer and all-round awesome dude rich <laughs> baker so rich great to have you on the wrestling with jonas podcast and uh how, how are you doing my friend bloody lhbk overselling it like <laughs> <laughs> wow that was so oh, well I, I put a lot of effort into my intros and it's, it's all justified wow. it's all justified <laughs> oh, well thank you for that i'm doing much better after hearing it so uh, <laughs> cheers my friend oh well there we go my, my work is done but uh, i mean for all of my listeners that may not be too familiar with your work and they will be obviously after listening to this uh, this podcast you, you know you've really come into prominence over the last uh, two to three years i'd say with your t-shirt designs for the likes of likes of cody and the bullet club and members of the new japan commentary team and kelly cross and we're going to get into all of that very very soon but one thing I always start my interviews with, especially when it's somebody I haven't spoken to before, Rich, is about the wrestling fandom and how it all started. Going all the way back to day dot when, I don't know, a friend or a family member turned on the TV or introduced you to pro wrestling somehow. So can you remember them kind of, uh, you know, weary days with your early fandom when you first clapped eyes on pro wrestling? Yeah, totally. Um, it's pretty crazy. Like, I've, I've got a, an insane memory. So, like, I remember being you know, like three, four years old, sat with my granddad um, watching the old British wrestling on a Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was like Big Daddy, Giant Haystacks, you know, all those guys. And um, I was a huge Big Daddy mark as a kid. So I <laughs> um, used to watch that with him, sat on his lap, eating cheese and onion crisps or whatever. Okay. And then I'd go down to, so on our local beach um, ride on the Isle of Wight, there's the, well they used to be i don't know if it's still there now um some trampolines like set into the ground so you'd have these trampoline mats and you'd pay for so long on them and i used to go and do wrestling moves on myself <laughs> on these trampolines <laughs> like at three four years old mum always tells the story and there was this afternoon where i was down there and did a sort of backdrop onto onto my neck and shoulder blades <laughs> and just sold it don't do this <laughs> just, at home kids don't do this no. at home <laughs> definitely don't don't try this at home um and i sold it like i just laid there like i'd broken my neck <laughs> and you my mum's freaking out first, all the other first bump <laughs> yeah all the parents freaking out and all this and i just popped back up to my feet and just started bouncing again and they're like oh my god what is he doing you know just and that was it like from literally almost literally year dot like i've been a wrestling fan it has been a lifelong odyssey so I'm guessing by the timeline you've just explained, that must have been kind of like late 80s going yes, into the early yeah, yeah. 90s, which was about the same time I, I started getting into it as well. And I remember uh, much the same, you know, sitting on my nan's lap on a Saturday afternoon watching World of Sport and all the uh, kind of old style British wrestling with many of the same characters. Um, but, you uh, know, good times, good times. But um, 
obviously you know you, you were very very young when you first clapped eyes on pro wrestling as you were kind of getting older um who were some of the the larger than life characters that kind of really jumped out at you and kind of captivated you even more than rich yeah i mean it's um obviously when we get to the point where wwf came into my life um i would have been around about nine years old so it was about wrestlemania nine kind of time you know the caesar's palace parking lot one yeah and um so i was seeing people like bret hart Hulk Hogan, Shawn Michaels, you know, all the all the big names, Jake the Snake. Um, and for me, yeah, Bret Hart was the quintessential professional. Like, I ha- I kind of, growing up, I never really had any strong male role models of any note. So I took a lot of cues from what I saw on TV. So Bret Hart was the professionalism side of it. Shawn Michaels was like the cockiness, that arrogant confidence, you know, that the rock star swagger. And then Hulk Hogan was the, you know, say your prayers, eat your vitamins kind of good guy bit. So I took sections of all of them and then loved like the darkness of The Undertaker, even though he scared the living hell out of me. Oh, yeah. I bet at that age. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I just I looked at all of those characters and kind of just thought, wow, they are what I should aspire to. Like, I don't know why that resonated so strongly as a kid, but, you know, even now, like I'll see wrestlers that are like you say larger than life that i just look at them and go god if i had one ounce of your confidence or any of it and it just yeah it really helped me sort of form myself growing up you do so. because these, these characters as we've mentioned they're larger than life but they're, they're role models they're kind of real life superheroes and people do look up to them and aspire to be like them but uh i mean are, are there any kind of like go-to shows from back in that era that you kind of you know on a, on a, a gray cloudy monday morning you have to flick on the tv just to kind of relive their memories yeah i I do go back and watch wrestlemania 9 like i know everyone craps on it and thinks it's like one of probably the worst wrestlemania but for me it's got such like a fond memory of myself and my little brother just watching it and emulating it and mum banning wrestling from the house right just before the attitude era started because we beat the crap out of each other um but yeah those eras i i funny enough grew up mostly as a wcw kid um even though I loved WWF, when we couldn't really afford Sky Sports at that time, we lost all those paid channels. But WCW would pop on after Cartoon Network on TNT. Yeah. So I could watch that very sporadically when they decided they weren't going to scramble the picture for us. And um, so I got to see like Ric Flair. I got to see Sting, you know, like the proper day glow Sting, you know, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And um, I loved it. Like just watching those characters and so i'll go back and watch old school wcw um from like 95 kind of time um and i just yeah i really do like to go right back and see them you know and and relive those old memories it's it's great fun yeah nothing wrong with wrestlemania 9 either i mean i for for years and you could say decades always had it in the back of my mind as, as being you know one of the one of the worst because i remember watching it live when it was happening i was mm. so into the new generation of wrestlers right. like the michaels and, and the bret hearts and then when you know hulk hogan came back onto the scene and stole kind of the championship at the end mm-hmm. there um I, I, that kind of left a bitter taste in my mouth for that mm. show in particular but then going back and watching it recently for a review on the wrestling with john's podcast uh with uh, mike mad dog angus i think it was it, it wasn't such a bad show looking back on it kind yeah. of like well what would it be 27 years later and uh, one of my all-time favorite wrestlers 
wrestlers, to be honest with you, Rich, is, is the evil Doink the Clown. Uh, oh, watching wow, him in okay. that WrestleMania, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, brought it all back as to why he was, you know, such. He was, he was a great wrestler, great character, and he was he was he was nasty, he was evil. And then when he turned good, I didn't like him so much. But so, yeah, yeah, I've got some some interesting memories about WrestleMania Nine as well. But uh, some good times, good times. And as you kind of um, matured a bit, got into your teens, mm-hmm. maybe early adulthood. How would you say your your wrestling tastes changed at all? And were there any other kind of different styles of wrestling, or maybe indie wrestling, or Jap- is that when Japanese wrestling came into your life? How would you say um, your 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 wrestling fandom changed throughout that kind of formative years? Yeah, so it's quite interesting because I, as I alluded to, mum banned us from watching wrestling because of you know me and my brother hurting each other. <laughs> And so I didn't get to watch it through my early teens to probably, I think it was, uh, sorry, Royal Rumble 2000 was the first show back for me. Yeah. So as I sporadically watched a little bit of WCW here and there through the Attitude Era, but didn't really watch religiously again until 2000. Um, And that Royal Rumble, I still say that's probably the perfect pay-per-view or as near as damn it to the perfect pay-per-view because there's just so much on it if you ignore the bikini contest and may young and all that but even though it's funny as hell but um or at least i think so i'm probably gonna get shot for that but whatever mm-hmm. um the match types you know all the table match with the hardys and the dudleys you know yeah. the rumble itself like all of it there was so excuse me mike there was so much going on and yeah. i just i just love it but um in terms of formative years yeah i didn't really get to watch until probably i was 16 um and royal rumble 2000 so yeah yeah, and and uh, have you ever kind of got into? Because I mean, over the last five years, the UK indie scene has kind of exploded. But were mm. you into like indie promotions, or uh, when did you kind of first get into the Japanese stuff, then, Rich? That was, I mean, that would have been um, Wrestle Kingdom ten, I think nine or ten. Yeah. Um, I think was it nine that Jr. and Matt Stryker on commentary? I think. Uh, yeah i'd be guessing yeah. if i said yes it was around about that time because i i hadn't really watched a lot of japanese wrestling and then heard that jr was doing commentary and obviously that was quite a big deal for me because i'm a huge jr mark as well yeah. and um so i thought oh, i'll check it out you know if he's if it's important enough for him to do commentary on it's got to be important enough to watch so i checked it out and i was hooked like seeing you know guys like kenny omega oh man he's mind-blowing like huge fan of him and obviously i'm repping you know still <laughs> um, yeah. not that he's with them anymore but i'll always rep it um you know and a lot of the japanese guys like um tanahashi and hiromu takahashi you know, you know obviously daryl sat behind me over there as well yeah. um i'm just yeah i just got hooked immediately um the matches are so different to what we see in the west um, the strong style, you know, and the storytelling. And when you don't understand the language, the stories even still can translate across. It's incredible. Um, so yeah, seeing that company break out into the US and the UK has been amazing. Um, yeah. But that would have been, yeah, round about Wrestle Kingdom 9 was when I got into the Japanese stuff. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, I'm listening. I. 
I was kind of expanding my wrestling tastes for me fairly early on and through various tape traders I came across mm-hmm. a lot of all Japan stuff a lot of all Japan women's a lot of new Japan stuff kind of mid uh, 90s and uh, yeah that's when I was kind of hooked and uh, probably mm. not so much nowadays to be fair but certainly the 90s stuff big big fan of but uh, what, what's your thoughts on the some of the current products then uh, um, I know that you're a, a massive new Japan uh, fan but um, kind of what, what do you think about some of the North American stuff do you watch your, mm-hmm. your WWE content or AEW NXT Where, where's your kind of bread and butter when it comes to more of the more the recent stuff then Rich so it's been a total roller coaster like um, I as I mentioned I've been a WWF slash WWE fan forever and in the last year probably since Wrestlemania last year after that all culminated and everything started to change I really got turned off the product like they just binned off everyone that you felt so invested in like Kofi Kingston and, and Becky Lynch they changed her character quite significantly over the course of her run and I don't know I just lost all heart for it and the only thing that was keeping me hooked was Bray Wyatt and obviously we all know what happened with him um, with yeah. Helena Cell and all that and it just it seemed as if you kind of couldn't get invested in anybody because you just knew that it was like Game of Thrones yeah. you know if you got invested in a character chances are they're going to die so I just kind of lost heart in them and obviously as you mentioned AEW was on the rise um got so into that love what they're doing um is it perfect no but it's a work in progress people forget that it's such a brand new company you know and that is testament to how well they're doing is that people are treating them on the same level as WWE even within their first couple of years of existence yeah so you know all credit to what they're doing I think it's fantastic love impact wrestling have done since the tna days back in 2003 to you know around that time i got into it around 2003 and yeah love what they're doing still um again not perfect but there's some great talent there really good matches their women's division's electric um and always has been so um yeah i i do enjoy some some good old north american stuff yeah Good. Uh, you go back to your points regarding AEW and, and mm. Impact. You're quite right. They know they're not perfect, but you can see that in their weekly products because they are trying mm. new things. They are experimenting. They're not afraid to experiment and they're not afraid to kind of pull back on things that aren't working. So whereas WWE are kind of quite regimented, uh, mm. regardless of what people think or whether it's working or not, but AEW and, and Impact very impressed with their work also. So um, staying with the current scene, who are some mm-hmm. of the, the guys and girls that are really kind of doing it for you uh, as far as a bit of your fandom right now any individuals that are really kind of uh doing, doing the business oh. for you it's so hard to pick because there's so many now um obviously i'm i'm forever going to be a kenny omega mark like he's just the best nothing um, wrong with that yeah no i am 100 percent behind him um cody obviously as well for many reasons you know but been a fan of him since like the dashing days you know back in wwe um and just, yeah, guys like Hiromu Takahashi, love what he's doing. Um, I, this could be a five-hour podcast if you ask me to list everybody that I'm a fan of. So um, Yeah, yeah. that'll are, be those the, those the part two of the Rich Baker interview. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, some, some top names there that you've dropped already. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if you, if you think of any more during the course of the podcast, just, 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 they'll, just they'll randomly shout out. them out. Just randomly shout them out, <laughs> and I wonder what you're on about. But, yeah. Um, so let's kind of kickstart this story with yourself. Um, I think it'd be fair to say that, that you know, your, your story kind of started around 10 years ago when I think you uh, really 
captured your entrepreneurial spirits. Um, you, you're massively into your music at the time. You're massively into your drumming. You started a, like a, a drum equipment store um, on the Isle of Wight. So mm-hmm. t- tell us about kind of how that came to fruition and your journey with the drumming store back in 2010 then, Rich. OK, yeah. So we prefaced that with a little bit of 2009 um, where I had been working for a bookmakers for about five years and was struggling with some pretty severe back pain. Um, there was a couple of months where I couldn't really walk properly because of the pain. And I was told by a physiotherapist to either give up drumming or give up walking. Those were my two options, essentially. Wow. Like 20, 25 years old, you know, prime of your life sort of thing. Um, so I sat there and I thought, well, you can give me a wheelchair and a set of bongos because I'm not giving up drumming. That was my exact response to him. Um, and I thought, well, if I can't gig and if I can't do this thing that I've done since I was 10 anymore, what can I do, you know, to continue it? And the idea of teaching came up and I started teaching a friend of mine. Um, she picked up drums really quick. She was loving the lessons and all that. And I thought, this is really enjoyable. Um, and I was storing my drum kit in the living room at my parents' place. And my mum turns around and goes, God, you've got so much stuff you could stock a shop. Bing, light bulb. And that was it. it just this idea of, do you know what? I'm going to go for it came up um i lost the job with the bookmakers and they paid me off um you know a little bit for my severance and all that um use that money to sort of start things off if you like um fast forward then to about the april of 2010 i'm at the job center talking to a business advisor self-employment advisor about what i wanted to do said you know i want to start this shop um I've got no capital, (laughs) not a penny of capital, because by this point I'd lived off the money I got from the job and was finally signing on. So he said, well, look, let's look a year ahead, get it set up for April 2011. I said, well, it it just won't work. I said, there's no way it works if I don't get it open by Christmas this year. So I said, I want it open in the November, sort of end of November at the latest this year. And he goes, that's just not going to happen. Like, it's just not that fast. I said, I'll do it. Like, this is if it doesn't open by then this shop does not work because i mean keeping in mind we were in a recession at that point yeah very true so i then bought a domain name for 10 quid um through one.com who i love they're amazing it's not even sponsored just if anyone's starting up a website check them out and use my affiliate link but um (laughs) started up an online business um you know, was trying to get things moving, but found out that suppliers don't want to supply you if you're only online. You need a physical store. So was desperately trying to find stock. I was selling my own equipment to try and get things rolling. Yeah. And one company took a chance on me, which was EMD Music, um, based out of the UK. Phenomenal supplier. Um, they handled quite a few different brands at the time, like Remo and all that. Um, and they just said, look, we know that you're keen enough and you're dedicated enough to open a store. So if you can pledge to us that you'll open a physical store in November, we will supply you until that point as well. So I was like, great. So set me up with an account. I started supplying or they started supplying me with Remo and Stag and various different products. I was able to start selling things built up, built up. Uh, Stepdad ended up retiring, giving me a lump sum of capital and said, right, let's go for it. 
opened a physical store on November the 28th. And yeah, rest is history. Superb. Excellent. And, and, and how long did the store last for then? Um, uh, did it last um, more than a couple of years? How, what would you say? Yeah, um, got to the April of 2013 um, and the store was doing fine. Like end of year one, I'd seen over the counter sales of 19 and a half grand and end of year two was 28 and a half, give or yeah. take. So it was growing and it was predicted to be within about five or six years, a hundred grand a year business. Yeah. Um, and again, in the middle of a recession with no capital. So, um, you know, it was a lot of hard work, but it was worth every second of it. And I loved it. Um, and closing, it was the hardest decision I've ever made. But at the time, um, the reports I was hearing was about eight music shops a week were closing um in and around 2013 there was a lot of people were going bust a lot of people were closing their doors changing tack cutting their orders back and i just sat there and i thought do you know what with everything that's going on in my life right now i can keep this going and kill myself working so hard through everything or i can get out now while i'm ahead not in debt and focus on teaching solely you know and that was kind of where i made my decision was um based around life factors and and everything else yeah yeah and it was uh probably a, a good decision at the time i'm sure but to, skipping ahead then uh <laughs> you, you mentioned very briefly 2013 now uh, yeah. uh in my research uh 2013 was was a could be described as possibly one of the worst years of your life but also probably <laughs> one of the most pivotal years of your life as well rich for so many reasons what what can you tell me about that time of your life 2013 i suppose from from january 2013 onwards really oh boy yeah um i mean you you're spot on it was it was easily the worst year of my life um so we started the year with um, my marriage was in decline um she and i had been rowing a lot there was factors involved there which we'll come to um february my my grand passed away um she'd been pretty severely ill um bedridden and she i mean she was my life like she was my absolute world and losing her broke me and still breaks me even now yeah um i miss her terribly and um yeah so we go from there into the funeral was in the march um birthday was sort of mid-march um and that was a hard one to even celebrate um april as i said i had to close my business a week after that my great aunt died um then i'm still going through all the marriage problems um that kept manifesting and manifesting to a point where we get to um sort of summertime and she i mean basically she was a functional alcoholic and would hide her drinking and it was that sort of gaslighting kind of thing where they you know it's you're led to believe you're just seeing what you want to see and yeah. you know she'd be arguing with me over every little thing and it wouldn't be anything that made sense like one of her biggest um problems with me was that i didn't do enough around the flat so and i would keep in mind i was working six days a week and doing 96 hours a week you know so i was fully focused on trying to make my business work so again, as I say, the decision was made to close the shop and I approached it with her and I said, look, you know, I'm closing the shop because I don't want us to end up in a situation where there's crippling debt. So I'm going to focus on teaching. It will increase my income 
so I can contribute more money. Um, it will mean I'm working two days a week instead of five or six. So, you know, because I'd only be teaching a couple of days a week so I can spend the rest of the week doing housework and keeping the flat nice while she was at work. I said, you'll never have to lift a finger around here again and all that. And that wasn't good enough because she had to work five days and I'd only be working two. Mm. I mean, if I'm, I don't know how many of your listeners can relate to that situation, but in my head, there's no logic to you'll never have to do housework again. And well, that's not good enough. <laughs> so I don't know. But <laughs> that was the kind of arguments we'd have. So, as I say, the drinking thing kept going and it just got to a point where I couldn't function as a human. Um, like I wanted to do nice things like do up the garden for her because she loved her gardening. So we went to B&Q trying to pick out um, wood uh, creosote for the shed. And there was three options of colours. And mum goes, oh, which one do you think she'd like? And I just had a massive panic attack and we had to leave because I couldn't choose a colour of creosote because I knew whatever I picked would be wrong. And it was just that kind of thing where I just broke as a human um, to a point where I had a chat with a friend and he said, look, I was in this position and we went through marriage counselling and everything else. And the guy told me, he said, you are not responsible for someone else. You have to save your own skin and your own life before you go completely off the rails. He said, if they don't want to help themselves, you will never save them. Yeah. So that resonated and it just kind of spiraled from there where we got to a point where she ended up attacking me um physically which was just horrific um i got taken back to my parents place by police for my own safety like it was just this hellish year yeah um and that culminated in my health completely declining um and i ended up a year a calendar year to the day after my grand passed away i ended up having major surgery to remove my gallbladder um which was poisoning me from the inside and if and the surgeon even said if we'd left it much longer you wouldn't be here mm. so yeah it was a bit of a year you know <laughs> you can say that again you can say that again so so how did you how did you cope with what just happened and what did you do to move forward from that point in your life then so oh and that's that's not even all of it but there's some things i just can't talk about no no uh, no involved my father um and a prison sentence which we don't need to cover let's just say it was not good <laughs> um the way i coped if you want to call it coped was just to plow on regardless um and i took no time to process any of it i took no time to deal with any of it i just got on and just pressed forward tried to resurrect the drum shop again tried to start up a furniture company tried to start up all manner of different things and nothing was sticking i went from job to job i was just kind of floating um for about a two-year period of just total drifting um ended up working for hmrc which is like our tax office um doing tax credits and everything in that job was a trigger point um, even the piece of software that we signed into on the daily basis had the same name as my nickname for my ex-wife. Like it was just, honestly, if someone wrote a script for this, they'd go, now nah, it's crap. Like it just couldn't all happen to one person. And yeah, it's, it's insane. Like I, I'm a big believer in fate and I think, you know, this is kind of one of those things where you just look at it and laugh cause it's so insane and recounting it is just ridiculous. But that was what was going on and it ended up 
driving me to a suicide attempt in 2015 um as i've alluded to in other podcasts you know and and have openly talked about so that was how i dealt with it (laughs) which is a terrible terrible example but yeah and you know were there any other kind of to try to overcome the mental Mm. anguish that you was going through were there any other like creative projects that you were trying to throw yourself into maybe anything with the wrestling slant at all um I hadn't really got to that point. I mean, obviously there was post 2016, we kind of got back towards smack talk, which was something I'd looked at, uh, in 2009. Um, it was a suggested name for a YouTube channel that were looking to rebrand themselves. And I came up with it then they didn't use it because it went to a fan vote. And I think something else just pipped it or something, but whatever happened, but I thought it's too good not to use at some point kept it in my folder of unfulfilled projects and as i say got to this point where i started going to rev pro shows with um my friend gaz and you know a few of the others from work and we're all wrestling fans and we decided we were going to go to wrestlemania and all these dreams you know then he he's a, a cracking artist and i had only just started to get back to drawing as a way to cope with my mental health problems mm. so he actually came up with the idea of designing shirts and he was saying like we should do some wrestler designs you know he'd do the line art i'd do the coloring digitally and then lay out the shirts and we we put out limited runs to see if you know a couple of friends would buy them or whatever um and then i mentioned him about smack talk so we started recording um we did the what if for the marty Janetti what if yeah um and a couple of other top 10 lists and things like that and over that period, it just started to build my confidence up a little bit um, to a point where I felt like this was something that was going to grow, um, grew the Twitter following up quite, you know, quite rapidly. And, yeah, you know, things were really doing all right. Um, and then, as I say, we get to the October of God, the October 2017 and the announcements are being made for Wrestle Kingdom 12. And you see Jericho versus Omega get announced. And I'm just there going, oh, I have to watch this. So I booked the day off from work. And, you know, I'd intended on watching it from home. And then curiosity that the better of me. And I looked to see how much the tickets were for being in the Tokyo Dome. And it was like £70 for a really good seat. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to buy one. And if I I can't go, (laughs) I'll sell it. No, non-refundable, non-exchangeable. So that was then the catalyst for going to Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and kind of, you, you've always been a, a big New Japan fan and um, mm. not necessarily on a whim, but uh, you, you had this in, in, inspirational moment to, to get yourself a ticket <laughs> mm. uh, without even having kind of hotel or kind of uh, plane organised. Mm. <laughs> uh, so, so, so tell us about that kind of, not necessarily mad moment, but uh, mm. it, it really was, the kind of the catalyst for yeah. everything else wasn't it so continue the story of it i mean over, you get over into japan and uh yeah. that, that, that it kind of did, did spark uh what we're going to get to later with regards to your t-shirt designs but uh, tell us mm. a bit more about that story and uh wrestle wrestle kingdom 12 yeah so it was literally that like just this moment of total i wonder how much that would cost and then as you as you mentioned i had no hotel booked no flights no clue as to how i was going to afford it or get there um let alone feed and 
house myself, you know, or anything. And so I, I bought this ticket for Wrestle Kingdom. And I went, crap, I need, I need to get there. Didn't even look at, I just, I booked a hotel in Akihabara. Like that was the next thing. So now I've got a wrestling ticket and a hotel booked with no idea if I can even get flights, <laughs> you know, um, Brilliant. and yeah, just, it was that kind of roller coaster of just booking stuff as, and when I could afford it or, you know, as it happened. And yeah, you know, I, I sat there and realized, Oh crap, I need to check my passports in date. Oh crap. I need to check whether I've got a suitcase, you know, and like it just total chaotic. <laughs> Everything was backwards. Very similar to oh, yeah. how I planned for WrestleMania 34 or whatever it was. Nice. Uh, but, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah. Just this total maniac idea. And then flew out on new year's day, 2018 to, tokyo landed at narita i'd learned very little japanese like hello you know thank you um excuse me all the all the very basic fundamentals i turn up and i walk into um this station so narita airport's got a a little underground sort of platform and you go down to that and there's just no english that i can see i'm panicking going how the hell do i get to akihabara from here it's like an hour and a half two hours on the train and i i'm going across tokyo a place i've never been you know keep in mind as well this is my first solo holiday yeah so you know low key (laughs) i spot the one white face in the crowd oh brilliant beeline for this very blonde very white dude and i was like help me how the hell do i get to akihabara he goes buddy i don't know like i'm i'm lost as well (laughs) so he goes maybe this guy will know and he's gestures towards a guard so oh cool so we go over to him and this guy is amazing he was totally bilingual he's like i can totally help you um and he drew a list of every timing every station he goes you need to change here and it was to the second perfect like their train system is incredible um and yeah got me to my hotel absolutely amazing incredible incredible Mm. Our friends over at Hope Spot Clothing are offering listeners to the Wrestling With Jollas podcast 10% discount off of all of their t-shirts and merchandise. Simply use the code WWJPOD. That's WWJPOD. Hope Spot Clothing are a charity label with over 50% of all profits going to a variety of good causes. Go to the website www.hopespotcc.com. That's hopespotcc.com and take advantage of their great discount now and uh while you were there um i mean what, what did you do to fill your time how long were you out there for uh so i was in tokyo for about nine days um and we did i say we because i met a group of friends uh, that i now we now call each other the gaijin club um and that's a, a wonderful thing as well like life-changing group of friends that i've made there um but yeah we did the fan festa on the first day um which has been the third of january obviously wrestle kingdom on the fourth new year's dash on the fifth uh we did things like the tokyo sky tree the imperial palace gardens like you name it we just did a bit of everything um it was Um, such fun while you're out there that was kind Mm -hmm. of like the the inspiration that really kind of sparked the fire 
behind yes. designing, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, or at least kind of taking it upon yourself to design. So, I mean, did you have any interaction with with uh, wrestlers while you were out there? Um, did you kind of make any contacts? Uh, how, how, how did that all manifest itself then, Rich? Yeah, so that was, um, again, like a total, I would say, wouldn't say fluke so much as just almost fate feeling. Um, so the initial day, like when I, obviously after all the traveling I got there, I was exhausted and I had a massive panic attack thinking like, oh my God, I'm, you know, the opposite side of the world on my own, don't know anybody, what the hell, blah, 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 blah. And then just that, mo- I was actually emailing mum going, I'm going to fly back tomorrow because I can't cope with this, you know, and I couldn't afford to fly back. It was like two grand for a flight. It was ridiculous. And I sat there in my little capsule and I just went, hang on, you don't know anybody that means nobody knows you. So you can be anyone you want in this country and no one's going to question it. So who do you want to be? And it was this that epiphany of like, I can be myself and no one's going to question it. So I, I just decided there and then I'm going to be the most confident, the most outgoing, just do everything, you know, like no, no to anything. Just go for it. Yeah. And that was it. That was the moment where it all changed. So as you said, you know, uh, meeting wrestlers and things like that, we were very fortunate in that after New Year's Dash, um, around Corican Hall, there's like a sort of an, not an alleyway, but like a thin sort of strip of pedestrian street. And all the wrestlers and commentators like Kevin Kelly and Don Callis at the time were walking down this route. So we met everybody we were just standing around waiting we were chatting with them meeting them getting photos you know awesome. jay white was there um i miss jay white but he obviously being a bad guy wouldn't do photos but one of our so one of our guys had asked for a photo and he goes i'm sorry look i'm a bad guy i can't do photos and he's like oh, that's cool and his parents were with him so jay white's parents and they go well we can do a photo and the guy declined the photo. I'm like, Mark, what are you doing, man? A picture of Jay White's parents with grumpy Jay White in the background would have been incredible. You know, like, a very rare photo, especially yeah. if he doesn't do photos. Yeah. Exactly. So that was awesome. Um, as I said, we got to meet everybody there. We went into the show, came out and spotted Bullet Club. So the elite, as we now know them, but Bullet Club in TGI Fridays in a private room. And... So that was the kind of moment where we all went in and had the longest dinner you've ever eaten in your life. It, we stretched it out over probably two hours of nibbling chips and just trying to draw it out until everyone else had gone. Um, they were trying to kick us out and it was just so funny because we were adamantly hanging on. Um, and fortuitously, I'd actually met um, Fatas Massa outside the Tokyo Dome and again at Corican. So he recognised me and we were chatting. I said, look, my friend is it all right to get some pictures with the guys he saw don't know he said not perhaps not kenny and you know very famous but um other other people who not so famous yes you know like that sort of thing in his in his lovely broken english and so we hung around um and the plan was that marty skull was in there and i know him through rev pro yeah so if he'd come out first i was going to do the talking and if anyone else came out matt was going to do the talking because he's proper you know you can give it a bit of that yeah and um fortunately marty came out I was like, hey mate how you doing hello mate you know and all this sort of english in japan kind of chatter and then we just yeah it flowed from there we got pictures with him with brandy with um K- 
Kenny, Cody, um, a couple of the guys got pictures with the Bucks, and I will forever regret not getting a picture with the Bucks because I just was so enamoured with Kenny Omega that I <laughs> completely missed it. Um, even to a point where I'd said to Kenny, uh, thank you so much. Your, your match was incredible. I flew halfway around the world to see you and Chris Jericho, and it was amazing. As Cody's walking by, and I didn't think he heard me. So in the group picture, there's the back row is Kenny, myself, and Cody. And just before this picture's taken, Cody turns to me and I shake his hand. I say, oh, thank you. I'm such a huge fan of yours from, you know, back in the dashing days and all that. And he goes, thanks. He goes, so would you fly halfway around the world for me and the Bucks? And I went, oh, God. And I went, yeah, of course. You know, like, ding. <laughs> trying to get out of this situation. And he goes, cool, because we're going to put on like a super show later in the year. So are you guys all in? And we didn't think anything of it. And we we're like, yeah, of course we are. That then obviously became all in. Exactly. Um, yeah. But that was in yeah, the January of 2018. Um, and all those connections, like obviously Cody and, and uh, Kevin Kelly and a lot of those guys then became people I designed for later on, later on yeah, down the track. Yeah, yeah. And to think that they were already thinking of all in mm-hmm. kind of that early on that oh, yeah. year, because what uh, was that uh, September 2018 when all yeah. in took place in Chicago? Um, so, uh, yeah, very, very impressive and an awesome story then. So then how did we go from from that and meeting the elite in a TGI Fridays uh, in, in Japan to you eventually designing for Cody? Um, what, what kind of happened in, in that time in between then, Rich? Yeah. So in the May of 2018, Cody was um, with Ring of Honor as well at the time. And he'd been doing some UK dates with them. And RevPro run shows out of Portsmouth and they run their annual Mayhem show. And they were looking for guest stars, as always. And Cody immediately agreed to main event this show with, um, I think he wrestled El Fantasmo. So I knew, obviously, in advance that he was going to be at this show um, through seeing the promotions and everything else. Decided that I really wanted to take a chance on this design for him. I thought, you know, I had this idea for this propaganda poster of him because he was doing the kiss the ring gimmick and you know, he looked like that sort of quintessential dictator kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the American nightmare. And it was just all flowing. And I had this design in mind, but no confidence to draw it at all. Um, so I asked Gaz that, you know, would you draw this for me? I've got this idea, but I just don't feel like I could draw it as well as you. So he said, yeah, what is it? And I told him and he was like, oh, cool, I'll give it a go. And anyway, time kept ticking on. And he went on holiday with his wife and obviously, you know, the show is now two weeks away and I'm thinking, well, if it's going to happen, I'm going to have to draw it because otherwise it's just not going to happen, you know, through circumstances. So I bit the bullet and took about a week trying to get this thing right and drawing it. And, you know, I put in like Bernard, the business bear and kind of tried to, I wanted to include like Brandy and Pharaoh as well, but just didn't have time and or confidence in my ability. So I got it to a point where I was happy printed it out on a4 card and took it with me to this show and did the meet and greet and i said you know cody i don't know if you remember we met in tokyo and you asked if i'd fly halfway around the world for you and the bucks i said well thank you for flying halfway around the world for me so i brought you this and he goes oh my god that's amazing i love it you know and blah blah blah. i said well i actually want to put it on shirts you know and i wanted to get your permission to sell it on smack talks website and told him about that and he goes, well, have you thought about doing it on Pro Wrestling Tees? I said, I didn't know it was a possibility. So he goes, 
let me hook you up with Ryan. Tweet me and we'll, you know, we'll hook it up. So he then posted it on Instagram and he had like the, the ring of honor ring on the picture. And my mentions blew up like people went nuts. My friends are going, oh, my God, he's posted your design on Instagram and da, 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 da. And it just went from there. Um, the shirt launched, I think it was June the 1st. Um, roundabout of 2018 and just yeah that was a catalyst for everything you're off to the races you're yeah. off to the races so um, before we get into your other designs and mm-hmm. interactions with with brandy and cody and all that what what kind of talk us through the creative process for, for, okay. for that design then the propaganda because you said that you know you were you know dabbling with, with art uh, throughout yes. your formative yeah, yeah. years but you weren't that confident in your abilities mm-hmm. i mean is it something that you had to kind of redo and do again i mean uh, oh, yeah. was it a painstaking mm-hmm. process for you yeah massively um i'm such a perfectionist when it comes to this stuff like and you'll hear a lot of creatives that'll and i'm sure you're familiar with this idea of being your own worst critic oh yeah you know and it's never good enough like you're always you'll spot something you want to change you know whatever and i sat there as i say it was a good week of solidly working on this design um the flag background and and all of the geometric shapes yeah nailed it straight off really happy with those but organic shapes for me have always been really difficult so i've i've generally i'll struggle with things like faces and hands and perspective of non-linear shapes yeah so like arms that are like reaching out and things like that it always looks weird to me so that was a real kind of struggle and i kept redrawing his face and kind of you know i was never wholly satisfied with the face that i drew but cody loved it like he um he was really happy with how it looked he said oh you you made me look really creepy i love it (laughs) And I was like, really? Because I'm not happy with the face on this thing, but whatever. So about a couple of months later, I redrew the face to a point where I was so happy with it. Emailed it to Ryan. I said, oh, could you show this change to Cody and see if he'd be happy with us changing up the design? And he showed that to Cody and Cody came back to him and he just said, man, I prefer the original. It just makes me look so creepy. You know, he's just like really obsessed with this original version. (laughs) And, you know, so even then, but in terms of creative process yeah it, it was a good week solid of working on this actual picture of cody yeah yeah uh, but that's it Bernard, I mean, you, you oh, had a goal didn't you you knew that you were going to see him mm. in the rev pro show you wanted something to produce to him you'd already yeah. kind of taken a big deep breath and you knew you were going to ask him so uh because mm. you had, had to meet to, and greet it, had to, it had to be good enough yeah it had to yeah. be good enough like that was awesome it. Awesome. And of course, we're referring to, and I know you alluded to it, your, your kind of Cody propaganda uh, design, your Cody propaganda shirt. Um, so, I mean, I know that you met them again in Bristol at the Fight Forever show mm-hmm. um, in That's December right. 2018. Did, did you have any other interactions with them when you were there? Um, and, and did they uh, kind of recognize you, remember you? Did they did they mention the shirt? What, how was your interaction with them back in, uh, in December 2018? Yeah, so... To get actually to get to that Fight Forever show, I designed their tour shirt. Um, they had a competition running to design um, a shirt for that tour, and I drew. It was a voodoo doll of like Papa Shango, so it had the Papa Shango makeup on and had pins in it and the Fight Forever logo across its chest and all that. And they chose that as the winning design, so that got me two VIP tickets to go to that um, that show. And I took my friend Mike who had been the one that told me about the competition in the first place. 
So um, ended up there and we got the meet and greet with them and everything else. And by this time I had the the propaganda shirt. So I wore that to the event because I thought if I'm going to meet Cody, I want to be wearing the shirt that I designed for him the last Absolutely. time I saw him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he recognized the shirt. He's like, oh, you designed that, didn't you? And he, it sort of clicked. Um, and we got chatting and he goes, oh, you should totally design one with Pharaoh on it for me. You know, um, people love Pharaoh. So what not else? And he ended up he gave me a Nightmare Family shirt as a thank you for that shirt. You know, and, and it was just this cool thing. And I met Joe Hendry, who I'm a huge fan of. Love is you know, parody songs and everything else. And I thought, I've got to chat to him. So I go over to him. I said, oh, you know, Mr. Hendry, lovely to meet you. Such a huge fan. Uh, I'd love to design for you. And he goes, that's awesome. Like, what sort of things do you do? Do you do like cartoons? I said, well, I designed this and not, not this. God, I wish I designed this. Um, but the Cody shirt that I was wearing, he goes, email me right now. <laughs> he said, don't even wait till you get home. He's like, here's my email address. Literally just email me and we'll hook up. So I did, and we then ended up doing the um, Blue Album parody of uh, Weezer Blue Album for his podcast. And he and I became good friends, and we've I've done more stuff for him since for his YouTube channel and various things. But it's just, like I said, that Cody shirt was just such a catalyst for everything yeah. I've done since. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, go back to that Fight Forever mm, show. I, I was there as I was there as well. It was a, right. a fantastic show. Some some really good matches uh, and a, uh, a hell of a roster as well. I mean, uh, mm. they were a fledgling company. I think they've maybe done uh, one or two other tours since. Um, mm. But it was it was a great show. You had some big stars there, of course. Um, uh, Papa Shango was there. Yes. Um, but um, and it was also being headlined slightly by an appearance from from Cody Brandy wrestled. But but they had the they doubled it up with the live Bruce Pritchard and Conrad Thompson kind mm-hmm. of something to wrestle with. And I, I saw them in New Orleans at WrestleMania uh, 2018 and it, I had to kind of stay on and see uh, that as well. And mm-hmm. uh, I've got an entire video of that on my YouTube channel. So just check out the wrestling with John's YouTube channel. And it's about a 20 minute long of, of their act. And Cody is a special guest at the desk with Conrad and Bruce. So check that out. But really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to Wrestle Kingdom 12, then that, that was also, as you mentioned, the, the kind of the catalyst for the, the Gaijin Club because mm. um, you you were you were sat up in uh, an area where uh, especially marked out for for foreign visitors. Is that right for, for foreign uh, wrestling fans? And, yeah, uh, something like that. And, and, and t- tell us a bit about that because the Gaijin Club has kind of taken on a bit of a life of its own. And you mentioned about the shirt you've got on there. You've actually got a Gaijin Club T-shirt, which has become yes, quite yeah. popular as well, hasn't it, Rich? Yeah, so there's um, to, to obviously we um the story of that has been told quite regularly. So I'll I'll do the short version, the TLDR. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone that bought a ticket through the foreigners link on the New Japan website ended up being in this one section, and there was myself, David, Matt, and a few of the other guys, Amadeep, um, and other friends that we made there were yeah. all in this one area, and we coined it the Gaijin section, and it was this kind of because gaijin's not a particularly pleasant term in Japanese, um, as Kevin Kelly told me, and he was told by Steve Carino, it's quite, it's like a sort of a, an anti-foreigner term, and it's not really, you know, it's been co-opted into a sort of familial term amongst foreigners. So it's actually gaikukujin that should be the term that's used. And I, I told Kevin Kelly, well, that just won't fit on a shirt. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
but yeah the gaijin club then was our little niche group of five of us um so it was myself matt mark andrew and david um and we banded together and spent pretty much our entire rest of our holidays together yeah as the gaijin club and it was gaijin club for one week you know instead of for life sort of thing haha and that then grew and i designed us a shirt as a bit pretty much just like a memento piece for us and it was pretty much it was the bullet club shirt with gaijin club you know it was such a cheap knockoff design <laughs> and i just wasn't satisfied with that so i then did another version with like a suitcase instead of um the guns at the bottom there was like and then it changed and it's got the now it's got the crossed planes flying through and it's it's taken on its own life there's a wrestlemania special one for last year with um it's got like the metlife logo but co-opted into like a into like a samurai helmet around the skull like it's just crazy and people seem to like them um you know yeah jeff jarrett's got one weirdly awesome um yeah so i know it's just one of these awesome little fun things that we that we did well that's it for any of my listeners wondering they, they may may have a t-shirt may have a gaijin club t-shirt wondering kind of the origins of that well you know uh you can thank uh rich baker and, <laughs> and, the, and the original gaijin club founders for, for that but uh, a fantastic story once again so uh, talking about some of your other designs then mm-hmm. um the, the, the bullet club uh block party t-shirt yes. how did that come about then because you'd already i'm guessing um uh had your interactions with the elite and mm-hmm. i'm guessing with, with with kevin kelly um but uh, how did you get introduced to the bullet club and how did how did they agree or allow you to do a shirt for them yeah so there's gonna be a thing that people notice with me is a recurring theme is taking a chance via twitter because <laughs> um, being stuck on the Isle of Wight this tiny little spit of land off the south coast of the UK you don't really get to meet a lot of people in person but Twitter has been my absolute lifeline so Tama Tonga was doing an ask Tama you know like an ask me anything um, on Twitter and it was use the hashtag whatnot and I had this idea for a block party shirt the block party had already been announced I, I like the idea of having a skull with like a chef's hat like a barbecue chef kind of deal yeah and I'd, I'd sort of done an early version of it. And I tweeted it at him and said, ask Tama, what do you think of this for an official shirt for the block party? And he goes, let's see what the fans think and puts it out there. And just the immediate response to it was insane. I bet. Um, there was, it got to like 600 odd likes within minutes. Like people just went nuts for it. And so he then DMs me and goes, right, let's put this together. And we made some changes, you know, and, tweaked it but it had like the bullets got replaced with sauce bottles like that was something in the original <laughs> changed the machine guns out for like the the spatulas you know and, and things like that and it just yeah it took on a life of its own again and we made this shirt happen um and it was just awesome like that for me was such a big deal because as a massive bullet club mark to actually do an official bullet club shirt like gaijin club shirts aside that was the goal was always to do an official bullet club shirt and that happened because of yeah just a, took a chance and showed time of the design pretty awesome and i think you know what this story if it's you know a testament to one thing it's taking a chance on yourself oh, yeah. isn't it really mm-hmm. it's taking a chance and taking a, a bet on yourself um and uh, you've definitely done that um and then there's there's kevin kelly we've, we've mentioned kevin <laughs> kelly yes. you know um he 
put you over huge um, oh, yeah. on a live broadcast of, of New Japan. Um, now, I think it might be 2019 where that went mm-hmm. out when he said, you know, uh, uh, something like you need a T-shirt, Rich Baker will be on it. Um, <laughs> and uh, you've done T-shirts for the commentary team for Gino, Kevin, Rocky and, and, and Chris, of course, and individual shirts for... Uh, for for Gino and and for Kevin, but yeah. uh, tell us about kind of your your relationship with with Kevin because um, you have had you know a number of conversations with him and uh, it's all gone well, hasn't it? Oh yes, yeah, he's a wonderful friend. God bless that man. Um, he has been such a support. Like he was, I think he was the second person I designed for, third, second or third person. Um, he again, it was I'd looked on his Pro Wrestling Tees store. And noticed that he only had one shirt. And I thought, well, he's got to want more shirts, surely. So, you know, this was early days. I'm trying to find new clients and people to design for. So I tweeted him the photo of he and I outside Corican, um, And just said, hi, Mr. Kelly, you know, sir. I'm always respectful. It's always sir or, or ma'am, you know. Um, I don't know if you remember me, but we met in Tokyo. I'd love to design for you. You know, and he, again, replied, DM me. So follows me on Twitter. We DM each other and... You know, I had this idea of I wanted to draw him like in a very cartoon stylized sort of what they call it, like a chibi kind of a way and him shouting, you know, a catchphrase. And I I had a different thing in mind, like different text. I can't remember exactly what, but he said it should say Destino because that's like one of my iconic calls in Japan. Yeah, yeah. So we did. There was four versions of that original sh- uh, the chibi shirt. There was Destino, One Winged Angel, High Fly Flow and god what was the fourth one uh rainmaker was the four iconic you know calls and we were told you have to pick one by processing tees because like we're not putting out four of the same shirt with different text on it that's ridiculous so i'm like oh, okay cool you know by the by so we picked the destino one and that went up um and from there he and i just stayed in touch he was saying could you do a design for x wrestler in new japan you know whatever person so i do a, yeah. a rough design for them a couple of them never really went anywhere but you know it was it was putting my hands to good work you know and, and practicing and learning and he was really sort of helping me out like he tagged me if if people were looking for a designer he, he'd mention my name or he'd back me up and you know give me that bit of credibility that i needed you know along with the cody shirt and everything else it was that support of his that really helped solidify me as someone important you know which i didn't know how to be um and just alluding to the drumming thing like i had a drum lesson with ray luzier of corn back in 2012 um in god where was it birmingham 02 and i asked him at the time i said how do you get as a drummer how do you get from where i am like a sort of competent player but not really of any notoriety how do you get to where you are you know at the almost at the top of the mountain and he kind of explained that as you know it's hard work and practice and you've got to put the hours in and the dedication to your craft and he said there is that level of being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right people but he said you've got to have put the passion in because then people will see your passion and support that and that then manifested in the designing it was like my passion was there and people were seeing it and jumping on board. So. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you know, you've had 
opportunities to design for uh, quite a few more wrestlers and wrestling personalities. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got a bit of a list here. You know, uh, you've designed for Killer Cross, Alicia uh, Atout. Is that right? how you pronounce her surname? I Atout? think it's Atout. Atout. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tamatonga. But who else? Just to kind of name drop a few more than Rich, who else oh, have you had God. the opportunity to design for over the last few years then? You've got me thinking now. Um, Massa, Fat Ass Massa. Done him a shirt, the NASA parody logo one. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Killer Cross. I'm gonna piss off some people if I forget their names. <laughs> no, that's fine. I mean, it's already a, quite oh, so a, an impressive list already. But uh, obviously, Gino, Kevin Kelly. Um, yeah. You know, Bullet Club. Hika Leo done loads for him. Um, Tama was one that I did for Smack Talk specifically. That was the Buddy Tama, like based on the Buddy Christ. Um, oh man, there's so many. Grey Wolf, um, he was a, another guy, Grey Wolf Raventhorn, that was early doors that I designed for. Um, God, you name it. Like, there's so many, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, Katarina uh, Waters. Uh, of <laughs> course. Forget Katarina. Of course. Um, um, but I know yeah. that there's uh, all of your kind of graphics. And uh, if you click on Rich's uh, Twitter page, and we yes. get to the links a bit later on and click on the media, you can see a lot of the designs there, many of the designs of uh, Rich Baker there. But um, let's get on to our first kind of listener question then, okay. if that's okay. And it's from yeah. uh, Jason Norris. I think you might know Jason, but uh, yeah, it says, uh, Rich, is, Rich is a great designer and talker. Um, he's oh. interviewed you before. And you've designed T-shirts for the the Women Love Wrestling Project um, over at Pro Wrestling Tees. Now, um, can you ask Rich uh, how he ended up working on the Retro Mania video game? Who contacted him and what was the process of making the logos for the wrestlers? So, yeah, I mean, I may have alluded to at the top of the show, besides all of the fantastic T-shirts you've designed, you've also got uh, quite a hand in the new Retro Mania video game, which is uh, available for pre-order and coming out soon, I believe. But tell us about how that contact first started and how you became involved with that project then, Rich. So that one was New York uh, last year for WrestleMania week. Um, went to WrestleCon because obviously I knew uh, that RevPro were going to be at WrestleCon and a few of the people I designed for like Katarina um, and various others. And there was obviously it's a great source of contact for yeah. a, a burgeoning designer like myself to go and meet people face to face. So I went to WrestleCon with a glut of business cards, like just hundreds of them stuffed in every pocket, you know, you name it. And Blue Meanie was on the um, bench, I suppose, table for Retromania. And I'd seen this game coming through in the various video gaming news channels. I was like, this looks really cool. I was a huge WrestleFest fan as a kid and um, thought, you know what? I really want to get involved in this somehow, you know. So I went over, I'm chatting to Meanie and, you know, I said, oh, I'm loving the, the graphics on it i said do you have any need for any designers and he goes oh, i'm sure they do he says do we follow each other on twitter and i was like i hope we do i said i know i follow you but whether you follow me is another story you know <laughs> joking and laughing about it and so I ended up making that connection uh gave him a business card you know as i was doing with everybody there um and we hooked up through that so didn't really hear a lot, but found out later on that day that Retromania or Retrosoft already followed me on Twitter, which was surreal. Yeah. And I had no idea. So um, sent them a DM and just said, hi, just been speaking to, I wasn't sure what, whether he still went by Blue Meanie at the time. So I said, the blue guy, you know, and like, and when you, you look back at it, and you think it sounds like I don't know who I spoke to, <laughs> you know, but um, obviously meant Blue Meanie um, yeah. I said, at WrestleCon. 
um, wanted to reach out and see if you had any need of a graphic designer. And they said, well, at the moment we're kind of covered, but we've got a few potential avenues. So we'll be in touch kind of thing. I thought nothing of it. You know, I'll probably nothing will happen. Message them again about a month later and just say, hey, just checking in and got a message back from Mike Herman, who's like the lead on it. And he said, do you do logos? And I'm like, yes, I 100 percent do logos. That's exactly in my wheelhouse. What do you need? And he said, are you familiar with Saturday night's main event? You know, of course, you know um all the wrestler logos they had you know very iconic in the early, yeah, early yeah. 90s like the, the, the dodgy green screen behind the wrestlers you as got doing their promos love that yeah and he goes we want something like that for the game and i said perfect yeah hit me up let's do it so started doing the logos the first one i did was tommy dreamers um which is the obviously based around the ecw font with the barbed wire and then the dusty roads polka dots and and that for me was such a lifelong dream like because i i love dreamer and i used to get told i looked like a sort of thin tommy dreamer <laughs> which i felt was such an insult to tommy because the guy's actually got a pretty damn good physique when you see him in like wwe ecw and that he's he's yeah. done well you know in the early days of ecw when it was eastern championship wrestling jesus the guy was jacked so i'll take that you know i'm happy with that um so dreamer was a big deal for me and then obviously there was the blue world order um they're blue bwo logo is their own um but the individual logos for meanie uh hollywood nova and um stevie are all my own um and guys like zach saber jr and you know it's just such a cool deep roster and varied roster and over the course of time as more names were added i got to do more logos and i couldn't talk about them because of obviously ndas and so sitting there watching people trying to guess who the next roster reveal is and i'm sat there going which one of them is it going to be like this is so exciting <laughs> and seeing the reaction to these logos was just great and and I, as, as you know i've been a, a huge video gamer since i was a kid as well so to combine my love of video games my designing and wrestling into something that's the actual official sequel to a game i played as a kid exactly yeah yeah did you design the logos for uh, uh, matt cardona and brian myers yeah yes and no so yes in the sense that i laid them out and tailored the graphics but no in the sense that like the skull in matt's is of his own logo um gotcha. so the graphics are based around their official like what they have yeah but they're tailored to be a bit different you know so like the brian myers one there's different elements of his stuff layered with the new york mets and um, i know he's a fan of the mets um so i layered that into that style logo and i just what i like to do is take elements of the person but make it unique and and give it that sort of me touch you know rather than it just be a carbon copy because it would have just been so easy to grab their logo and shove it you know as is into the game but i wanted to give it something that was a little bit different yeah um yeah and make it unique to the game because the game yeah. itself is very unique and has its mm -hmm. own style doesn't it but uh, have you had any feedback from any of the wrestlers about some of the the logos that you've designed for them then um not directly but i have obviously i've seen them retweeting a lot of stuff and each logo is sent to the wrestler for approval prior yeah. to it being okayed you know as a final design so a few of them have had iterations that have changed over the course of the process but they are all sent to the wrestlers and most of them have been immediate okay yep yeah, love it um so that's a, 
again a huge compliment um, indeed yeah, yeah. And, and before we move on to some more listener questions um did you have any other involvement in any other aspects of the game so there's obviously the what, what you can talk about what you can yes talk yeah, about. yeah yeah I'm, I'm very careful to to edit what i can't talk about exactly but, um, yeah fortunately we're now so close to release there's not a lot left that's not been revealed so okay. uh, obviously the nwa connection was such a huge thing and not being able to talk about that was mega difficult because like that's a massive thing um and when that was in pre-production like the the graphics were being put together uh, i actually started working on a sprite sheet for the 10 pounds of gold on the entrances um and i actually pulled the plug on it because i i personally wasn't happy with my sprite art because it's not something i'm very familiar with doing um i've dabbled in it but i wasn't confident enough that it looked good enough to be in the finished product again that perfectionist thing um but i have got a semi-completed sprite sheet of nwa 10 pounds of gold title belts and that would have been awesome if if it if it had been my sprite art but other than that it was things like i did a couple of the little vs you know the verses for things like that yeah. but otherwise it's mostly my work is around the logos awesome um awesome. oh and of course the arcade cab for pax east was the other thing right yeah no, it's, and when, when is it due for release? Because uh, I've, I've been looking, but I haven't quite found a, an official release date. Do you know if it's soon? Well, Mike Herman's the official go-to on that, and the Retromania YouTube channel where they upload the um, facts videos and the dev vlogs. And what he said, and I fully agree, is he quotes Shigeru Miyamoto, and he says like an unfinished game will be forever bad, but a game that you take your time on will be forever good you know and so yeah. they it will be released when it's ready is the official line gotcha um because they want to make sure this game is the game it should be you yeah. know and i fully support that i too many times you see games get rushed out and i'm sure we all know a very famous example of a game that was released and buggy as all hell yeah um so to see a company so passionate about what they do and you know they're taking the time over every aspect to make it the game that it deserves to be you know if you're going to have the official sequel to wrestlefest it should be that quality and it will be i'm yeah. fully confident that it will be yeah excellent can't wait for it to come out and i believe i've, I've had kind of one or two of my listeners say that they've already uh, got it on pre-order so it may already yes. be available to pre-order so check that out on their website so we, we're on to kind of the home stretch now then rich with a final yep. few uh, listener questions from uh, uh, stewie john palmer now uh, i've just had stewie john palmer on uh, uh, episode 144 of the wrestling with john's uh-huh. podcast so hi stewie uh, who would you like to collaborate with um, who you haven't had the chance to so far Oh, God, so many people. Um, I think you've got a, a list a mile long. Yeah, year three of this podcast episode. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, any designer dreams of working like you, you dream of working with the biggest names in the industry. So for me, obviously, like Undertaker would have been someone I'd love to work with. Um, Jake the Snake, as I've alluded to, like guys I grew up watching. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm happy designing for anybody. You know, I'm not someone who will limit myself i always think you know the only limitations we have are the ones we place on ourselves so if i was to say i only ever want to work with these five huge names and then i'm doing myself and everyone a disservice because i'm ruling out so many so for me it's kind of like whoever wants my design work done for them 
come at me let's do it you know so there's not really a quintessential list but obviously you know you can take from that the biggest names would be huge but anyone i'm super happy to work with of course and you've already done some of the some of the biggest names but uh, i'm sure there'll be many many more to come over the years but uh, another question from alexis helmsley um mm-hmm. who was the hardest wrestler to design to design for and why oh. so uh if you don't want to name names you don't have to but uh, was there a uh a wrestler that was hard to design for i'm guessing in terms of more uh kind of uh, content more than whether they were being difficult or not but um, sure yeah. yeah um is alexis helmsley is she any relation do you think or uh, uh... <laughs> no no i mean alexis no. helmsley is actually uh one of the hosts of uh kind of uh, wrestling with john's sister podcast uh-huh. arms so alexis hosted episode one of that so i do know lexi very well but uh yeah, yeah so uh how, how would you answer lexi's question there after that beautifully unplanned segue as well that was really cool um so <laughs> no, not planned I... not planned no no, no completely. <laughs> um i mean i've i've kind of alluded to it already with cody um that original propaganda shit because it was such a departure from what i was familiar with doing and having that crippling self-doubt like i can't stress enough how much that will limit you as a as a human like not just as a designer but in every walk of your life like self-doubt and anxiety is such a crippling mental illness that um, it was something I had to overcome to be able to have the confidence to show him that design. And I took, as I say, I took about a week, you know, meticulously redrawing and redrawing. I think there was like five iterations of Bernard, the business bear and like, you know, and Cody, God knows how many times I redrew him. Um, but it, it was that personal demon that I had to overcome to make, which yeah i'll try again in english that personal demon that i had to overcome to be able to do that design in the first place and without having overcome that none of the rest of this happens so you know hindsight being 2020 looking back at it yeah that's the thing that was really the hardest um there's no one person that's been super difficult to design for everyone's been really cool and i know that sounds so cliche but i've said it throughout like each person what you're doing as a designer is you're representing their brand and they've put every part of themselves into making that brand real so you have to do them the service and justice of making your design appropriate to their brand so i don't ever feel like someone's being difficult because they're protecting their end and it has to be right so um the only time as i say it's been difficult was a personal struggle yeah yeah Great, great answer there. A uh, question from uh, Chris Thornton. Um, he wants to know uh, what's your favourite era of the Bullet Club uh, for him. He <laughs> says, uh, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, an, I'm an elite man or an OG okay. myself. So Ooh. what about yourself? Wow. So that's that's quite a tough one because, I mean, Bullet Club is such a transient thing, but it's been consistent through the the OG guys like Tama and Tangaloa and, and Farley, yeah. you know. Obviously, I'd have to allude to the elite era because of that connection through cody and kenny you know and and how life-changing that was for me personally um but if i'm stepping away from designing i kind of feel like the switchblade era and now i mean i don't know when this is going to air but spoiler alert um the evil era potentially that we're heading into as of today as day of recording man what a time like it's so different and jay white um is a very very good bad guy um and tama and the guys you know the tongans what an an incredibly talented group and family 
so i for me yeah switchblade era into current it's so exciting yeah like as i've said to other people the best is yet to come for bullet club like I mean, even guys like Kenta and El Fantasmo that are part of it, you know, these are guys that we're not really seeing still. Like, you keep in mind, what we're watching with Bullet Club right now is without the Tongans and without Jay White and without El Fantasmo. You know, there's so much talent that we've yet to see come back into New Japan. Oh, we're in for a treat. There honestly. we go. There mm. we go. So uh, a personal question from myself then. Um, yep. I, I, I was searching through your, your Twitter timeline and I noticed that uh, you've got a, you've got a bit of a, an ultimate dream match that you would love to see. Maybe not. Uh, yep. You may, may, may not happen. John Cena versus Kazuchika Okada. Oh, yeah. yeah so yeah. Uh, tell us about that, that kind of dream match and um, whether or not it may or may not happen. But oh, could, could you fantasy book? And if it were to happen, uh, how do you think that might go? Oh man, like I was wondering which dream match you were going to pick then, because I've got a few, but that <laughs> one you? particularly, yeah, that it's that kind of the best of both companies. Yeah, you've and got I, the I, two iconic mm, guys, haven't you? I I hasten using the the term the best when it comes to Cena because as a personal thing, I'm not a huge Cena fan. Like I don't think wrestling wise he's all that great, and I think he would say it himself. And it was alluded to in the Firefly Funhouse match at Mania this year. Mm. where you know that he was really self-critical and it was quite interesting to watch but there's something about john cena that has resonated across over a decade in fact nearly 20 years now isn't it god it was 2002 when he debuted so bloody hell um and he's connected on a level with so many people much like in japan okada is that legacy wrestling you know he's he's had every championship he's had every major moment and it's that what if my favorite term of what if those two collided you know it's you're looking at the representation of both of the major wrestling companies who comes out on top and i kind of feel like it would go to a screwy finish of some kind because i don't think you can separate them okada is silky smooth in his wrestling his drop kick is beautiful like it's just He's such a good wrestler, and that personality is, is the total package when it comes to Japanese wrestling. And the only real person I can see on his level is like a, a Tanahashi, you know, the ace. But for me, Okada is that Cena. And then to see John Cena go up against that, what does he do? How does he adapt his game? You know, he's busted out a, a beautiful drop kick every now and again, and his Canadian destroyers, you know, and his springboard stunner that nobody I likes. I think Cena's to underrated. I think a lot of I people do. give Cena a hard time. Yeah. I think uh, you look at some of the classic matches you have with, with, with Punk and AJ Styles, oh, God, Daniel Bryan, yeah. you know, when he's got the right opponent, he can. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's what's intriguing, mm. isn't it? It's that, that opponent, you know, because wrestling, as we know, you know, is, a complimentary sport it's that idea of your opponent is there to make you look good and thus you are there to make your opponent look good and the better you make each other look the better the match becomes so to have those two go at it yeah it's just it's just chef's kiss yeah i I would fly around the world i fly halfway around the world to see that (laughs) most definitely most definitely (laughs) now let's uh talk about your latest project your newest brand style and profile you've already got the website style and profile.com uh there's also a facebook page a twitter page which you're trying to promote of course uh what can my listeners expect from style and profile and from yourself in the near future 
Okay, so style and profile is an amalgamation of everything that I've done over the last couple of years. Um, it is Smack Talk, it is Graphic Content UK, it is even to a degree Lucha Underground UK. Like everything that I've kind of been involved in, brought under one umbrella. Yeah. Obviously, it's a Ric Flair quote. There's no hiding from that. But what a quote to base your brand around. It's the idea is that when you're representing yourself. The things you need are style and you need that profile, that high profile, high caliber representation. So as a brand, that is what I'm bringing and my brand is bringing to anyone I work with is that level of style based on a left field kind of approach. Like all my shirts, as I'm sure you're aware, they're not typical wrestling shirts. Like they don't look like a wrestling shirt. And it's one of my biggest design mantras is if I'm designing a wrestling shirt, I don't want it to look like your typical wrestling shirt because then you can wear it anywhere. And only people who are wrestling fans are going to look at it and go, I know that shirt. That's a wrestling shirt. Everyone else looks at it and goes, that's a really cool shirt. Where did you get it? You know, you get both audiences instead of one or the other. And that's the style element. The profile element is that being amongst a... God, what's the best term? Not a click, but like a, a group of incredible names that I've worked with. So your Kevin Kelly's, your Killer Crosses or Carrion Crosses now, um, you know, your Cody's, your, all those people that I've worked with, your Katarina's on every level of wrestling and, and other brands outside of wrestling that are all related to each other through that work. And that elevates whoever I work with to be amongst those names. You know, you're Alicia Atoots. You're anyone that's a part of that clique and that circle is now of that profile. And it's an elevation thing. It's a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Yeah. So with the rise of style and profile, thus all of those ships rise and those ships in turn are helping to displace those waters and lift my brand as well. And that's kind of the profile element. So it was a perfect storm of everything coming together. Indeed, indeed. Well, Rich, uh, that draws a close to our interview on the Wrestling We cool. podcast. Okay. Um, before we let you go, and yes. uh, I want to give you the opportunity to uh, throw out any, any social media uh, plugs you might have. So where can my listeners reach out and say hello to you and find you on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook? Um, and of course, you've got the, the style and profile pages as well. Yep. But uh, where can they reach out and find out more about Rich Baker? So me personally is at Rich Baker Art, and that's across all platforms, so Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, although my personal Facebook is pretty off limits, so don't be kind of adding me nope. on there. Um, <laughs> but if you'd like to find my brand stuff, it's at Style and Profile on Twitter. It's at Style and Profile, Style and Profile, I should say, Style and Profile Design on Instagram. And these are so new that I'm still trying to remember them. Or just go to styleandprofile.com. And there'll be links on there. So if it's easier to find them that way, I should think. Yeah, and we'll make sure that all of those links are added to the description. So uh, all of your social media and where they can find your podcast. But before we go, I just want to leave you with this Rich Baker quote from his uh, Twitter. He says, uh, you know what's crazy? We aren't programmed to cope with the entire world's worth of issues at once. But here's the catch. If we focus on making our immediate surroundings the best they can be in kindness, love and empathy, then the whole world gets better as a result. So how about that? But uh, Rich, thank you very much. You've been an amazing no guest it's been an amazing story very inspirational story wish you nothing but the best for the future and uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast my friend no worries thank you for having me it's been a blast
You're very, very welcome. So there we go. Please keep it tuned to the Wrestling With Jonas podcast. And if you've enjoyed listening or watching this uh, episode, please don't forget that ever important follow or subscribe button so you can be notified every time a new episode drops. Don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family. And uh, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to all of our social media links as well. Uh, thanks again to Rich one final time for coming on the Wrestling With Jonas podcast. Nice. Thanks to Turnbuckle TV for being such excellent sponsors of the show. And thanks for all of their support. And thank you to everybody for listening. We'll catch up with you all again soon.